The story that we read last week, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, fits perfectly with the passage that Brandon read to us just a few minutes ago. What we often do when we read the Gospels is we take stories and events and we separate them and isolate them from one another. If you remember last week, Jesus was in a conversation with a religious scholar about which commandment was the greatest commandment. Over 600 Old Testament commandments, and as he and Jesus discussed this, Jesus said to the scribe, what about you? What do you think is the greatest commandment in the law? And he took a passage from Deuteronomy and another passage from Leviticus, and he brought them together. That we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And as the discussion ensued, the, the rabbi asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, a very familiar parable. And that parable was intended to teach us what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. But when we come to the story of Mary and Martha, sometimes we disconnect it from what we've just seen. The story of Mary and Martha is Luke teaching you and me, discipling us, what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We do that by sitting at the feet of Jesus. By sitting at the, at the dirty feet of the Galilean carpenter, we demonstrate our love for God. The two stories are a balanced picture of what Christianity ought to be. Loving God and loving people. That's balanced Christianity. That should be the desire for every believer to live a balanced Christian life. Living out Deuteronomy, Leviticus, living out these two together that are so intricately connected, you can't unravel them. You can't have one without the other. Most of us, God has given a particular disposition to, a particular bent, a particular personality. He's given us spiritual gifts as well. And often our personality and our gifts cause us to look at the world in a distorted way. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know I'm basically a reserved person, and, uh, and I'm, not very, I'm not very outgoing by nature. And yet, if I'm not careful, I allow that to be an excuse, not to be a recluse, but not to be very intentional about serving people, getting to know people, meeting people, uh, engaging people. And so I could use my disposition, which God gave me. I think if everybody were outgoing and an extrovert, then there wouldn't be anybody but everybody talking and nobody listening. But if I allow my sinful inclination to push me in a particular way, I can use what God, how God has made me as an excuse for not being the most outgoing, quiet, somewhat introverted person in the world. When I am not filled with the Spirit, I'm not very engaging. When I am filled with God's Spirit, and I don't always live being filled with God's Spirit, as you know, then I need to be as much like Jesus as I can be with the disposition and personality that He gave me. The same is, the same is true with you. 
Indwelling sin causes our weaknesses to be accentuated and our strengths to be minimized. So part of the battle of the Christian life is recognizing who I am in Christ, who God has made me, and then being the best I can be with who God has made me, with the gifts that He's given me. And so I I take who I am, I look at Jesus, and I see, okay, how can I in my personality, my disposition, my giftedness be as much like Jesus as I possibly can in the way that He's made me? And so that's living a balanced life. What we see here in this passage are, are two ladies, Mary and Martha, and when they, are, when they are living in the way that God wants them to live, they are shining examples of who God wants them to be. But none of us always live in that way. None of us are always exhibiting the fullness of the Spirit the way that God would want us to exhibit it. When we hear the name Mary and Martha, often we think of a couple of things. One is, I always think of Martha Searles, first thing. Now, as I talk about Martha, I'm going to highlight some of Martha in the Bible's weaknesses. Don't think about Martha Searles. Uh, Urban Martha Searles are probably the most highly respected people in our our church. But in the biblical text, uh, Martha is exhibited here with her, with her weaknesses coming out. But the Martha here, when she is living the way that God wants her to live, is a beautiful example of what it means to be a person who is service-oriented but spirit-filled. When we hear the names Mary and Martha, we, we think that they're found all over the Bible, but they're not found very often in the Bible. In fact, Matthew and Mark never mention Mary and Martha. Luke mentions Mary and Martha only one time. Their brother Lazarus is never mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So this is the only time in this gospel we'll talk about Mary and Martha. But when you turn to the gospel of John, in John chapter 11 and in John chapter 12, we find Mary and Martha there as well as their brother Lazarus. Now, did I say Lazarus or Luke earlier? Thank you. For some reason, I thought I said Luke, and so Lazarus. That's the only place that Lazarus is found in chapter 11 and chapter 12 in John's gospel. Mary and Martha are found in Luke 10, John 11, and in John chapter 12. What I want to talk about this morning is Christianity 101, loving God at the feet of Jesus. Because that's what Luke is doing. Luke is telling us how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength by describing the event that took place in the home of Mary and Martha. Just look real quickly with me at the passage that that Brandon read. You'll notice in verse 39, or actually verse 38, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They stop in the village where Mary and Martha live. Mary and Martha lived in Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem. So they're having a celebratory meal. And before the meal, Jesus is teaching the Word of God. And Mary is described in verse 39 as seated at the Lord's feet, listening intently to what He's teaching. 
That would have been a Bible study to attend. That would have been a, a massively important, significant moment in that home for Jesus to be teaching the Bible. Martha, however, is distracted by all of the preparations. Underline the word distracted. She's distracted by everything that needs to be done, all of the things that have to take place if they're going to have this very special meal. Now, the meal has to be prepared, the table has to be set, things have to be accomplished, but she's distracted from the moment. And so she begins to complain to Jesus about her sister, but she doesn't even name her sister by name. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Apparently, Jesus isn't aware of all that needs to take place, of the things that need to be done. And so she complains to Jesus about it. And Jesus responds in what I would think are is a compassionate tone, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by so many things. Only one thing really matters in this particular moment, at this particular time, in this particular setting, and Mary has chosen the good part, the best part, which shall not be taken away from her. So we have two women with different personalities, two women with different spiritual gifts. Two women that if they're not careful, indwelling sin will cause their personality to be pushed in a particular way and they won't be very balanced in their view of life. Let's think about Martha for just a moment. Let's think of a a personality like the Martha in the biblical text who is very servant-minded and task-driven. You see, when, when Martha is not walking in sync with the Spirit of God, she thinks her vision should be everybody's vision. Her ministry should be everybody's ministry. Her calling should be everybody's calling. In fact, she can't understand why you're not interested in what she's interested in. You must be less spiritual than I am because if you were as spiritual as I am, you'd be interested in exactly what I'm interested in in the realm of Christian service and ministry. But she forgets that God has put us together differently so that the body of Christ can be balanced and not imbalanced. And so Martha looks at the world a particular way, and when she's not walking in step with Jesus, she thinks everybody should be walking in lockstep with her. She's so task-driven that she forgets the ultimate purpose of the task is service, not the accomplishment of the task. And when we are of a personality and disposition like Martha, it's easy to fall into that, into that ditch. And what happens when we fall into that ditch? If you're a, a Martha-type personality, you get frustrated. You get frustrated with people. In fact, you get frustrated with God. You're just smart enough not to voice it to God uh, quite like Martha was. And, And we complain about people. We complain about people to people. We don't complain about the person that we're complaining about to the person we're complaining about. We're smarter than that most of the time. But we complain about that person to that person because that person isn't doing what we think that person ought to be doing. 
And so when a Martha kind of person gets out of step with the Spirit, they're very difficult to be with. They're terrible to be married to. Because what happens is they want their spouse to be doing what they think everybody ought to be doing. Now you need some Marthas in a home and in a church. Because without any Marthas, nothing gets done. But on the other hand, a Martha not in step with the Spirit is a problem. You might be wondering, I wonder if he's talking about me. Maybe. I don't know who you are. You might be thinking, I wonder if my spouse is thinking about me. I wonder if my coworkers are thinking about me. Probably, if you're thinking that, that's probably true. They're thinking about you right now. I don't know who you are. I don't know your disposition or your inclinations. But let me tell you, when a Martha is in step with the Spirit, they are a blessing to a family and to a church because they can get things done in the right way and for the right reason. Uh, they focus on needs because they see what other people don't see. They, they look at something and they see what, what needs to take place and somebody else looks at it and, and it's just not even in their, in their vision at all. When people like Martha serve in control of the Spirit, then they're caring for people an accomplishing task. And they're doing it in the right way and for the right reasons. But it requires a person like that to say no to flesh because our flesh is always pushing us in the direction of our propensity and makes a strength a weakness. Our strength becomes our weakness. The indwelling sin in us and Satan outside of us is pushing us in that direction. And so Marthas are often very frustrated because they think people aren't doing what needs to be done. Marthas walking in step with the Spirit are an unbelievable blessing to the people of God. But there's another person there. There's Mary. There's a disposition of people that, that have the inclinations of Mary. Are there weaknesses? Well, of course there are. Uh, people who are like Mary think that the only thing that matters is spiritual growth, and particularly my spiritual growth. Who's going to disciple me? Who's going to teach me? Where am I going to get more people investing in me? Who's going to mentor me? They're like a sponge, and they keep soaking and soaking and soaking. Would you like to serve? No, I've got a Bible study to go to. Would you like to serve? No, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a ministry. I've got a, and they're very seldom giving. Everything revolves around them and how it overtly benefits their spirituality. It's a pseudo-spirituality, as a matter of fact. They find it difficult just to get to people with people, have a cup of coffee, and engage in casual, normal, ordinary conversations and find out how a brother or sister uh, is doing, a brother with a brother and a a sister in Christ with a sister in Christ. Well, we've got to have Bible study. Well, we can't get beaten and not have a Bible study. Well, what are we doing on Sunday mornings? What are you doing in Bible fellowship group? What are you doing when you're discipling youth or children or in a, a, in a small group on Wednesday night, hearing Dr. Betts on Wednesday What are you doing? How many Bible studies do we need 
before we say, you know, I think I ought to roll up my sleeves and start uh, getting on board with Martha and serving a little bit. Those who take, have a disposition like Mary, their sinful tendencies can push them to make it all about me and my spiritual growth and my spiritual life and what's going to benefit me. How am I going to be benefited by this, by this ministry? And they, they minimize service. They minimize fellowship. And they're not much used to the kingdom of God. And actually, they're growing intellectually. They're just not growing spiritually. And they mistake spiritual knowledge for spiritual life. But when we look at Mary in this setting, in this story, we see that Mary has made a very wise choice. She's loving God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength by being seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to His Word. She's helping us understand the importance of prioritizing life. Who I become is who I am out of a time with, spent with Jesus. She teaches us that being must precede doing. Being, being must precede doing. But when we are filled with the Spirit of God and we've been taught by the Word of God, then we are ready to serve with Martha in the, among the people of God. So these two these two wonderful ladies are wonderful examples of what it means to be created in a particular way, two sisters, but different, different personalities, different inclinations, but, but being pushed by the Spirit of God to be who God has made them to be for the glory, for the glory of God. So, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Secondly, I want you to turn with me to John 11, and I want us to think about weeping at the feet of Jesus. In the first story, Mary is seated listening to Jesus' Word. In the second story, she is fallen at Jesus' feet, weeping at the feet of Jesus. Listen as I begin to read verse 32. The whole passage, the whole chapter is about Lazarus dying. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and he was a very close friend of Jesus. Jesus had strong affection for this family. And Lazarus fell ill, and Mary and Martha sent messages to Jesus to come to Bethany and heal Lazarus before he dies. Not only did he die, Jesus doesn't arrive until four days after his death. Martha and Jesus have a beautiful exchange. Sometimes we are depreciatory toward Martha, but they have a beautiful exchange in the verses just preceding this. And then Martha goes back to the house, and she says to Mary, Jesus wants to speak to you. Jesus is near where Lazarus was buried. Mary is back in their Bethany home. Verse 32 says, then the Jews who were with Mary in the house and were consoling her, when they saw that Mary had gotten up quickly and left, they followed her, thinking that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him, now underline this, and fell at his feet. 
The last time we saw her, she was sitting at his feet, listening to his word. And she says, Lord, if, now circle that word, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, notice there's a lot of crying going on. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. We have a little bit of the health wealth gospel in all of us, whether we would admit it or not. We're really surprised when bad things happen to us. We're really, we're really stunned when people as good as, well, as you and me, don't have things go our way, and sometimes they go terribly wrong. Inwardly, indwelling sin whispers into our inner ear, if you had just been a better person, served a little bit more, prayed a little bit harder, been a little bit kinder, you wouldn't have had three miscarriages. You know, if you had just sung in the choir and greeted people when they, when they walked in the room uh, or went to your room at BFG, you wouldn't have had your wife killed by a drunk driver. Indwelling sin whispers the most insidious and insane things to us. If, that's a, that's a big two-letter word, isn't it? If. If you had been here, if you had done that, if you hadn't gone there, none of this would have happened. Mary loved Jesus, Jesus loved Mary, and now Mary is sprawled at the feet of Jesus, weeping, and she, she says, if you had been here, it wouldn't have happened. Now, in one sense, that's a statement of faith. She believed that Jesus could heal her brother if he had been there. The, uh, on the other side of the coin, it's kind of a slam. If you had gotten here sooner, we sent you a message, which they did several days prior. Notice Jesus isn't taken aback. He's not upset. He's not bothered. She's crying, and she is pouring out honest words from a broken heart, and he's not dispassionate. In fact, he himself will weep. Even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he's weeping. Why is he weeping? Because people he loves are hurting. There's something in us that wants to push God away when bad things happen to us. Because bad things shouldn't happen to us. Not people like us. But they do happen to us. An indwelling sin, that insidious sinful nature says, God doesn't love you. Or that wouldn't have happened. If the people cared about you, they'd have reached out to you a little bit longer. There wouldn't have been one week of meals. There'd have been four weeks of meals. You wouldn't have got five phone calls. You'd have got 25 phone calls. And so the insidious indwelling sin is trying to push us away from Jesus 
But Jesus primarily ministers to us when we're brokenhearted through his people. The very people we need are the people that we isolate ourselves from. That is a terrible decision to make. And so, what does it mean to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? It means instead of running from Jesus, I run to Jesus. And I fall at his feet. And I tell him how I feel. And he understands perfectly well why we're saying what we're saying. We may be out of our minds. He can handle that. He can handle that. If you had been here, it wouldn't have happened. He can handle that. He's big enough to handle that. He's not like me. I'm, so, I'm overly sensitive. You, you say something like that to me, and man, it just puts, put, I'll be knocked off kilter. Not Jesus. He's not like me. He can handle our brokenheartedness. The one that was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to his word has now fallen at the feet of Jesus crying from a broken heart. We're all going to be there one day. It may be tomorrow. It may be that you got up from that place this morning when you came here. Don't let your indwelling sin push you away from Jesus. Let it draw you to the dirty feet of a Galilean carpenter. The third passage I want us to look at, it's in chapter 12. It's the opening verses in chapter 12. We've talked about sitting at the feet of Jesus, weeping at the feet of Jesus. Now I want us to think about worshiping at the feet of Jesus. The only three places in the Bible where Mary of Bethany are mentioned. In all three passages, Martha is mentioned as well. In two of these passages, Lazarus is mentioned. Look with me in verse 1, six days before the Passover. So Jesus is right on the precipice of crucifixion. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Well, that makes perfect sense. But notice there's no critique here, no criticism here. Martha's doing what Martha does when Martha is filled with the Spirit, walking in step with Jesus. She's serving because people have to be served. Well, Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, almost a pound. It's pure nard. Nard is uh, an ointment that comes from a plant that's grown in India. Very expensive. In fact, a little bit further along in this particular passage, the alabaster vial of, of pure nard, more like a lotion than what we would think of a perfume spray, it's about equal to one year's wage. Now, it doesn't matter how much money you make, a million dollars a year or $12,000 a year. A year's wage is a year's wage, isn't it? That's a lot of money. It's the kind of resource that people would keep, like a family heirloom, in case the family fell on hard times. Uh, It's something that you wouldn't use, but during a time of famine or bereavement or necessity, 
You could sell that alabaster vial of pure nard and get a year's wage for a common laborer. Now her financial advisor, her retirement planner would have gone through the roof when, she, when he finds out that she not only opened it, she poured it all out on Jesus' feet. There she is again at Jesus' feet. She's seated at Jesus' feet. She's weeping at Jesus' feet. Now she's worshiping at Jesus' feet. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, verse 3 is an incidental detail that historians use to corroborate historicity. If this story was just being made up out of thin air, they will, you don't include little incidental details like that. So this is an eyewitness testimony. John the Apostle was in the room. She wiped his, she poured it on his feet. She let down her hair. She wiped it into his feet with her hair, a sign of humility and devotion and love. And it, oh my goodness, that's so that's beautiful. Now, most of those people smelled terribly because they didn't bathe very often at all. And even if somebody had washed their feet before the meal, the odor would have been quite, quite strong. And so what does Mary do? She eliminates the horrific odor and replaces it with a beautiful scent as she pours it on his feet and wipes his feet with her hair. So in one sense, worship is laying at Jesus' feet, anointing his feet. I think of it this way. Here, there's a beautiful fragrance. A little, uh, just a few minutes ago, we were all singing and worshiping, and our hearts and minds were focused on Jesus. And we hear one another, and, and, it, and it gives us such inspiration because we're a part of a large group worshiping. And, and it's as if, metaphorically speaking, Ninth and O Baptist Church worshiping this morning. You, you smell that? You smell it? You, the burnt offering. It, it would ascend to heaven a fragrant aroma to God because one of his children were giving the very best of their flock and it was being burnt up as an offering and the scent would ascend to heaven. In the house church in China, 25, 30 people gathered together singing just like we sing in a, They're worshiping in Beijing. In some small rural Iranian village where believers are constantly under Islamic threat. Uh, those few families are getting together and they're singing. There's something beautiful about worshiping at the feet of Jesus. There's something magnificent about being a part of the people of God. And they're, and they're being expelled an odor to the glory of God. See, all of life, if we're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, can symbolically, metaphorically be lived at the feet of Jesus. 
listening, weeping, and worshiping. And when all of that gets balanced out, I'm not a recluse in my office at the seminary. I'm not pushing people around for my agenda. No, I, I'm living the Spirit-filled life in the way that God has made me, and I'm doing it in a way that glorifies Him. And when you do that, you, you gain a reputation one way or the other. You gain a reputation, and by God's good grace, we want it to be the kind of reputation that Mary and Martha had when they were in step with the Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. It may be today that you're a guest with us. We'd love to have you stop by one of our connection tables in either lobby. Allow us to have the privilege, opportunity to meet you and talk with you. You may be a guest and you may be a member, and you just would like somebody to pray with you. That is, you came here this morning having been weeping. And even as the service is going on, inside your heart is, your heart is heavy. Don't let your sinful inclination tell you just keep it to yourself. Let somebody pray with you and pray for you. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that these two dear women that are found in a, three key strategic passages in the New Testament help us to understand what it means to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, you've created all of us with certain dispositions, certain inclinations. Uh, you've given us spiritual gifts. And all of these things cause us to see the world in particular ways. Father, we confess we're so prone to get out of kilter. Help us to get in right sync with you. Because there's nothing better than a spirit-filled Martha serving the people of God for the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with a spirit-filled Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, weeping at Jesus' feet, worshiping at Jesus' feet. Much from us for us to learn. Father, we we need your help to be able to do it. We need to be aware that indwelling sin is constantly pushing us further than we need to go or further away than where we ought to be. And so give us the grace and the disposition and determination to be who you want us to be and to do what you would want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.